Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Murder and Misery, our true crime podcast. We are your hosts, my name is Heather, and I know absolutely nothing about true crime. And my name is Jillian, and I consider myself somewhat of a true crime expert. Yes, Jill is our resident true crime expert. And we created this podcast so that Jill could teach me about all things true crime, both locally and nationally, and to take you guys along for the journey, so that if you too know nothing about true crime, you can learn something. Or maybe hear another perspective about stories you already know. Welcome back, guys. We are together for another episode. We're glad that you found us, and Jill is going to take it away. This is mostly her show. This does feel different. <laughs> okay. We're recording during the day today. Normally, we record at night, but I have to work, so... We are doing this in daylight, and just the time difference has really thrown us off. So if you notice that, we're sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm still partially asleep, but... Oh my god, it's one o'clock. I know, well... It's midday. <laughs> 1 a.m. is more like 8 a.m. for me, but anyway. Uh, so this episode contains mention of violence and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Before we start, I just want to also add that, like the Peyton Leitner case, this also ties in with last week's episode. But again, I'll save that for the end to see if you can figure it out. This one ties into the last one? or Hope's case. Okay. Um, so we will be starting this case off in Stockton, California. The year is 1978. It's early one spring morning when Bob and Gay Hardwick woke up to find that someone was in their home. They were shining a huge flashlight in their faces. Once they realized what was happening, they were completely awakened to find that it was an armed intruder at the end of their bed. They did have a deadbolt lock on their back door, but unfortunately it had been broken for some time. Now keep in mind this was the 1970s, so they didn't really have any high-tech security like we do now, and to be completely honest, the crime rates were not nearly as bad, nor, or I guess, or as talked about as they are in our generation. And most families didn't even lock their doors at night, which kind of sounds crazy to us, but back then it was just life for the most part. The intruder then tied up Bob on the bed and even stacked glass plates on his back so that if he tried to move or get up, it would knock over the dishes and make noise, letting the intruder know that he was trying to set himself free. Unfortunately, while Bob was laying there trying to comprehend what was happening or figure out how to escape, the intruder had taken his wife into the living room and sexually assaulted her multiple times over multiple hours. She said, quote, He ate from a refrigerator. He drank two beers while I lay bound and blindfolded. He ransacked our home, and in between he tormented me with threats of death. End quote. I'm sure that they thought to themselves, how could this happen? But unfortunately, they soon found out they were not alone, and that this had happened to dozens of women, young girls, and couples alike across the state of California. Their attacker was known by many names, as police had initially thought that they were dealing with multiple attackers. They gave him names like the East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker, the Visalia Ransacker, and the Diamond Knot Killer. And he wasn't even new at this. He, his crimes go all the way back to Visalia, California, starting in April of 1974. He had completed over 100 home burglaries in this area until December of 1975. It was said that his burglaries were out of the norm. Like, you'd think if somebody was going to burglarize your home that they would take expensive stuff, but allegedly this guy just took random things and scattered stuff around the house. 
Like, I read somewhere that he took an earring, like, not a pair of earrings, like, he just took one earring. So, uh, this made police think that he was not in it for the money, and that he literally just got, like, some sort of thrill, or had some sort of power dynamic, and that was the reason that he did this. Weird. Yeah. At this point, he was not sexually assaulting victims. That started in 1976 in California, a year prior to the Hardwick's attack. So put that into perspective. He had been getting away with this for a while when their attack took place. And I can't imagine how terrifying it was for the people that lived in California at this time, knowing that there was a man out there who would literally stalk women and then eventually break into their homes and assault them. Like we said before, it was very odd because he would just hang out at these people's homes and like make himself at home. Some people said he would even make a sandwich or go chill on their patio, which I feel like is just extra degrading to these poor victims. Yeah, that's really weird. Yeah. Like you said, that it kind of seems like a power thing. Right. Yeah, and like the earring, like when he would take earrings, he wouldn't, even, he wouldn't even take expensive earrings. Like he would just take like a random one earring. It was, I don't know. But, um, huh. right. Allegedly at times he would break into people's homes when they weren't even there just to get familiarized with the layout of their home. And sometimes he would even leave supplies, like hide supplies around their homes so that when he broke in later while they were there, he was able to get them to carry out his heinous crimes. He would even call back his past victims and harass them over the phone. Like, clearly this guy knew what he was doing and he needed to be stopped ASAP. Unfortunately, back then, like we said before, they didn't have security cameras, nor did they have DNA evidence. I mean, they did have uh, DNA, but they didn't have a way to test it like we do now. So really, these criminals only had to worry about fingerprints if someone could ID them from seeing them, and stuff like that. So I feel like criminals were just a lot more carefree back then. Um, That's crazy, because like you said, back then there was less crime, or at least it was less talked about. Mm -hmm. And like people could have gotten away with a lot more then than they can now, and I feel like there's a lot of crime now. But maybe it's just because we talk about it. Right, which I think is part of it. I mean, I'm sure crime rates have gone up, but I think the... Because you're bound to get caught now. You know oh, I mean? yeah. Like, with you, everything that we have? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's so many cold... I mean, that's why there's so many... We have cold cases now, don't get me wrong. But, like, cold cases back then, there's just, like, thousands upon thousands of them. Yeah. So, back then, he would wear a ski mask. Um, so, getting a good idea on him was hard. But it was believed that he was around six feet tall, had dirty blonde hair... And he was a fit Caucasian man. This had everyone horrified and police stumped. Eventually, they started putting on meetings at their local town hall, trying to figure out what to do and if anyone even knew this man. This guy was clearly cocky. We know this because literally at one of the town hall meetings, he had called and said that he was going to attack someone that night and even gave them the street name. So obviously, police went over there to find a man wearing a ski mask, but they were unable to catch him. The reports kept coming in of home invasions and sexual assaults. This had most of California terrified. But keep in mind, at this time, they had no idea that the ransacker was the one committing all these sexual assaults. They had been calling him the East Area Rapist at this point. So now we have a guy who's been committing burglaries and heinous sexual assaults for years without getting caught. This all takes a turn in 1978 when he committed his first murder, or at least that we know of. Jeez. Allegedly, he keeps evolving. I know. I feel like he's, I, I don't know this person, and clearly you have the story, but it seems like 
he's like testing the waters and he's like, if I can get away with this, what if I could get away with this? And right. And try something new. And then he gets away with that for a long time. And also, that's insane that he was like, I'm going to be at this place at this time. Come get me. And the police still didn't catch him. Right. And there there is reports. Um, I don't know if they've been confor- confirmed. But there is reports that he would show up to these meetings because no one knew who he was. Who he was right. You know? Um, that makes sense. But I'm just shocked. He literally was like, I'll be here. Come see me. And, and he was like, there. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know how he got away, but. Um, it's just crazy to think about. Right. So allegedly this attack was on a couple walking their dog. He had tried to attack them and sexually assault the woman, but the husband did not cooperate like they usually did. This caused the East Area rapist to panic and unfortunately shoot and kill the couple. Um, I think things were a little bit different because usually he attacked people in their homes, which is a lot more, I don't want to say either of them aren't scary, but like it's a lot scarier when you're confined in a home that's supposed to be your safe spot versus just walking around outside. So uh, unfortunately that cost them their lives. And about a year later, more killings had happened. And this is when they had given him the name, the original Night Stalker. They they added original because there was another serial killer named the Night Stalker in California. Nice. Right. At Um, the same time? I don't know if it was at the same time. I just didn't know if there was like somebody who was copying him or something. I feel like on TV shows and stuff, they'll be like... Copycat killers? Yeah. Yeah. They talk about that sometimes. I don't think so, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Um, next episode. <laughs> no. <laughs> the copycat. Right. I know we're not going into much detail of all of these gruesome attacks, but unfortunately, if I went into every single attack that he committed, we would be here for literally hours and hours and hours. That's how disgusting this guy was. As the time passed and the murders continued, they were realizing that whoever was committing this had a really advanced knowledge on combat survival type of stuff. So they even thought that maybe he was in Boy Scouts or military or even had some involvement with the police. Apparently, they had even started calling him the Diamond Knot Killer because of this. I guess he had really advanced knotting, and when he was tying people up, they just took note of it and were like, hey, maybe this guy was a Boy Scout. I'm not sure. But at this point... I feel like that's a good good idea, though, like, to start... If you can't figure it out, you got to find something that makes him different. Right. And I know, I mean, I don't know too much, but, like, profiles profilers they'll like look at your crimes and they'll be able to be like oh well you know he had self-confidence issues and like yeah tell a lot about a person yeah he had no self-confidence issues this guy well i didn't write this i didn't write this down but it was said and this is this is rated r information if you have children maybe um skip forward a little bit but it was said that he had a very small um, member. I don't know how to say that. That's why I didn't write it down. He had a very small member. And so police had also thought that he had issues getting women in real life. So then that's why he decided to take advantage of them against their will. So I think maybe he had self-confidence issues in real life. And then, gotcha. you know. At this point, who they had believed to be the original Night Stalker, also known as the Diamond Knot Killer, had committed 34 attacks, leaving 14 people dead. As the search continued, their efforts remained unsuccessful. 
Locals started sleeping with their doors and windows deadbolted because of the fear and panic, but unfortunately the attacks continued until May 4th of 1986. This was when he had murdered Janelle Cruz, making her the last known victim of the original Night Stalker. This was where the case went cold. As the attacks stopped with the original Night Stalker, police noticed that all of the attacks stopped from the ransacker and etc., so up until this point, they had still believed all these attackers were separate people. Yeah. But at this point, they were like kind of starting to put it together that maybe it was one person committing all of these heinous crimes. This brings us to 2001, when DNA confirmed that the original Night Stalker and the East Area Rapist were the same perpetrator. This is when Michelle McNamara comes into the scene. Michelle was extremely interested in this case. She wanted to find out who this monster was and give all of the victims a sense of justice and closure. She also added one more title to his long list of names, which I'm sure most of you have heard, was the Golden State Killer. Mm-mm. No. No, sorry. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> I like gave, I gave Heather podcast. like <laughs> I gave Heather like a glare, like does it ring a bell? Okay. No. That's okay. That's what we're here for. I'm learning. Yeah, uh, Michelle ended up writing an article in LA Magazine, and everyone was so interested in it that she even got a book deal from her article. And in 2016, authorities had issued a $50,000 reward along with a new sketch of the Golden State Killer. Now, from what her friends all said, she was an extremely kind and passionate person, and this book really meant a lot to her. And she had been working on it for years, but unfortunately was never able to finish it completely because she suddenly passed away in her sleep in 2016 on April 1st at 46 years old from an overdose. Of course, everyone knew how much this book meant to her, and they wanted to finish it. So this is where Billy Jensen and Paul Holes, which I know if you're a murderino, you already know about Paul Holes and his amazing contribution to the true crime community. Anyway, Billy and Paul both got together to finish the remainder of Michelle's book. And I'm happy to say that in 2018, All Be Gone in the Dark, One Woman's Obsessive Search for the Golden State Killer was published in the New York Times bestseller list for a couple months. While this book didn't solve the case, it did, however, in hand with her article, spark public interest on the case. What we didn't know was that towards the end of 2017, investigators had taken DNA from a rape kit and uploaded it to a genealogical website database. They had a match. Well, not really a match, but like a link, which meant they found someone closely related to this monster. This. Right. This leads us is to... Is this the... I'm sorry. Is this the case that you wrote down last week? Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> I was like, this has got to be it. You're right. You solved the mystery before I was even done. Solve the mystery. This leads us to April 24th of 2018, when police arrested a 72-year-old man named Joseph D'Angelo. Joseph James D'Angelo was born in Bath, New York on November 8th of 1945. He spent some of his childhood in Sacramento, California, and then went on to serve in Vietnam. After this, he studied criminal justice at California State University in Sacramento and even got engaged to a woman named Bonnie, but that fell through. And then he went on to marry another woman, and they had three daughters before their marriage ended in divorce. He worked at a distribution center for a supermarket as a mechanic for nearly 30 years and retired in 2017. Initially, D'Angelo was charged with 13 murders and 13 counts of kidnapping for robbery. Unfortunately, all of the sexual assault that he committed were not able to be a part of his sentencing as the statute of limitations had expired. In March of 2020, 
He pled guilty in exchange for a life sentence and not the death penalty. Initially, they had turned down his deal, but in June of that year, they decided to agree upon it. And on June 29th of 2020, Michael D'Angelo pled guilty to all 26 charges and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole in August of that year. During his sentencing, he told everyone, quote, I listened to all of your statements, each one of them, and I'm truly sorry for everyone I've hurt, end quote. Apparently, he himself takes no real accountability for the crime and says that he has an alter ego named Jerry that made him do all of this. He is currently serving 11 life sentences in a maximum security prison. So you already figured out that it was DNA evidence. Mm -hmm. And um, what they had actually done was they found, I think maybe like his nephew or like one of his like close relatives. And there was a huge legal battle with that because that's when everybody started freaking out. Like, oh my gosh, like don't commit crimes, y'all. That's what I'm saying. I'm sorry. Just don't commit crimes. Well, they said that it was like some in some way, like, unethical for these people to, you know, give their DNA to, like, a database, and then the database give it over to the police. There was some, like, huge legal issues with that. Um, It's unethical to rape people and murder them. Amen. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm sorry, but that's way worse than someone hitting a match on Ancestry DNA. Right. And, well, so, once... They found, like, a link or whatever. They kind of went through and looked at all of these, this person's, like, close family members. And then they kind of narrowed it down because uh, D'Angelo, like, fit the criteria. Um, he was a police officer at one time, too. Whoa. Right. Uh, so he fit the criteria. And so then they, like, did a stakeout. And they eventually got a used tissue out of his trash can and confirmed his identity. He was living with his granddaughter. That's crazy. Like, do I think he deserves to be in prison? Yes. But I also think it's a crazy concept that, like, this guy has been living his life for all this time since he committed all these crimes. Mm-hmm. Just like just like a regular person. Even though he's not a regular person. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he is. But just like a regular person out there living life. And then all of a sudden, one day, decades later, the police come and just, like, tear your life apart he deserves it but like also think about his family who didn't know like their whole lives are like thrown apart right and actually i have a um a letter from his oldest daughter who was 38 i just think it's crazy no it is and i i assume i don't want to blame anybody i assume they had absolutely no idea that any of this happened i assume that too so she said that she lived with her father almost her entire life and The same could be said about her 19-year-old daughter, so his granddaughter. She said, quote, he is the best father I could have had and my daughter could have had. He was my daughter's grandfather, but he treated her like his daughter. Anything my daughter or I ever needed, he provided. She also said in the absence of her father is a trauma that she and her daughter will never overcome. She said the father that she knows and loves is a good person. She said, quote, my dad has so much kindness, love, empathy, and support for others. But I will say 16 of his rape victims and family members of the victim said otherwise during their victim impact statements in court. Right. I don't think that you are a serial rapist and a serial killer and then you're, you can still be a good person. I just don't, my brain doesn't put those two together. Right. I understand that to his daughter, he was. Right. But 
I think that's kind of an odd statement to make. I feel like if it were me, I feel like my statement would be a little bit different. Yeah. Well, he tried to say that, like, his alter ego or whatever, how he, like... Jerry, get put, out. <laughs> well, that's what he said. He said he, like, kicked Jerry out, and then he was able to live a happy, normal life. But I'm so sorry. I, I don't... No. I don't think so. I feel so bad for his friends and family who had no idea. Um, personally, I do not think this was the move to just write an entire letter about how good of a person he was. That's what I'm saying. I uh, don't feel like that's the right statement to make. Right. And... I mean, I'm sure, obviously, she feels bad for the victims, I would uh, assume. But her statement was not the move. No, absolutely not. Like like I said, you know, you and I would have a hard time hearing that about our fathers, you know? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? But even if, even if she said he didn't, if she wholeheartedly believed that he didn't do it, you could still say, I'm sorry for what happened to those people. Right. You and know I, what I mean? And I mean, this was, they didn't have the whole letter Oh, posted. So maybe she did, yeah. So, you know, who's saying that? I'm sure she has some sort of... But I also feel like she probably is in a lot of denial. Oh, 100%. You know, so... She needs a PR person. Yeah. (laughs) I think they they didn't list her name for a reason, but... Yeah. It just, you know... Well, I had not heard about this case. 100%. I mean, that's very scary. Like you were saying, the people of California were getting deadbolts for their windows and their doors and all of that i would do that too mm-hmm. yeah like this this was you know when we talked about mary vincent that was the one where it's like this is the reason people stopped hitchhiking yeah this is the reason people started locking their doors at night was because of this guy wow yeah that's really crazy mm-hmm. i mean he committed hundreds so it's like hundreds you said 34 no no, no. hundreds like crime you know like um that's that's including burglaries and all that stuff. So, oh yeah, I forgot about those. Right. So like going into like every single thing that he did, we would literally be here for hours. And there was, I mean, I feel like most of the stuff that he did like isn't even well documented. I was gonna I was gonna ready to ask like, has he talked about like why he progressed the way he did or like why he took the things that he did or has he said anything? He just said that from what I saw, he just said that it was like not him. It, it was, was his alter ego. ego. You know, and I haven't, I didn't see that he was diagnosed with anything. I'm not sure, but I do know that, you know. I wonder, like, I'm not going to say that 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 he doesn't have an alter ego or dissociative identity disorder. The thing that is interesting to me about that is that it stopped all at once, you know? Right. And he, like, he had said, I kicked Jerry out and then I was able to stop doing all that. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it does make me wonder. Let's do some math because I just thought about this. Okay, we're doing math. We're live investigating right now. <laughs> so, his last murder was 1986 and his daughter's 38. Yeah, so his, I mean, maybe it was because his kids were getting older, but his daughter was alive when he committed his last murder. So, I don't know why he stopped. Maybe... Honestly, who knows? And yeah. with people like this, who knows if he even stopped or if he just moved on, you know? Yeah, for sure. He could have been doing something else. Right. Going somewhere else. Yeah, I don't know. But it was very interesting. Yeah, I just wanted, because I know we had talked in our last episode about how, I mean, this case was almost, what, 40 years old? Mm-hmm. How 
there's still hope. Oh, yeah. There's still <laughs> hope for cases it like really connects. Right. There's yeah. still a possibility that... It could be solved. Right. And that's why I know we said in our last episode, and I know people are skeptical, but who knows, you know, in our last episode, we talked about Hope, who is like a St. Louis's baby Jane Doe, and, you know, still a cold case, but who's to say you're not, you know, distantly related to her, you know? And they wouldn't know until somebody in your family takes an ancestry test or something like that, and then it links, and then, you know, within a, a span of a couple months or a year, they have a... 39-year-old cold case solved. And so I hope stories like this give hope to those who may have crimes that are still not solved and, mm-hmm. you know, Love are losing hope. Missing, yeah. Right. Because there's still, I mean, there's still, still possible with technology going the way it is. So. Yeah. I think that's cool. Yeah. So. Just have- don't commit crimes. Don't commit we crimes. Don't worry about ethics if you don't commit crimes. <laughs> and like I said in last week's episode, if you have a family member that is like, do not, whatever you do, take a DNA test to figure out how much Scandinavian you are, um, then they're sketchy and they probably killed somebody. So, I mean, I think more likely they had additional children, but maybe they are a serial killer. I just, my mind points towards serial killer. I know, you just like jump a few steps here. My mind is wired differently. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) And with that being said, this is the case of the East Area Rapist, also known as the original Night Stalker, also known as the Visalia Ransacker, also known as the Diamond Knot Killer, and lastly known as the Golden State Killer. That's a lot of names. Yeah. So. I'm glad that they were able to connect it all and get it all figured out. Right. Which I guess maybe they didn't really fully connect it back in the day, but now they're able to. I think they had suspicion back in the day when all of the crimes stopped at the same time. Right. But it was like 2001, I think, is when they had like officially connected it, I believe. Hmm. Well, I'm glad that they connected it. And then at the end, like you said, using DNA for good. All right, that is it for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back together next Thursday with another episode for you guys. You can follow us on Instagram or TikTok. Um, The handle is Murder and Misery. And we also have a Facebook group that is run by Jill if you are interested in being in the group and you want to have some discussions. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. If you have not yet, we would really appreciate it if you would give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Spotify has now given the option to do ratings. So if you have a second, please leave us a review whether or not you type anything. If you type anything, great. But even if you don't have time for that, if you could just give us the five stars, that really helps us find new people. And it tells Apple and Spotify that our podcast is good. With that being said, we'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.